6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, The Ark of the Covenant. But once a year, they celebrate all this by taking out just a replica for ceremonial purposes at Timcat, and they march down um, to the riverside. Now, what's interesting, I want you to picture this. Picture yourself standing on a hill, surrounded by people dressed in white, Ethiopians, dirt poor, but very happy, singing in the Spirit, round the clock for two days prior, and round the clock two days during Timcat. These are Levites celebrating the baptism of Christ. Can you get that? Levites celebrate. But this whole ceremony is intended to, to symbolize going down to the riverside where they do a bunch of readings and stuff and come back. It's supposed to represent Christ's baptism in the Jordan. Um, and they're, they're, they're just spontaneous um, singing, dancing, round the clock. Two days prior, two days during, Timcat. And uh, it's, really, it's really quite an experience. And I could go on, but that's basically the perspective. In Isaiah 18, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, Go ye swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth of skin, to a people terrible from the beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden down, whose land the rivers divide. All ye inhabitants of the world. Wait a minute here. They're going to give the Messiah something that the entire world is going to be watching for. Wow. All ye inhabitants of the world and dwellers of, on the earth, see ye when he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains, and when he bloweth a trumpet, hear ye. In that time shall, ye, shall the present be brought, the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts, of a people tall and smooth of skin, from a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the, land, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts in uh, the Mount, Mount Zion. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 10, there's a similar allusion. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my supplements, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. And that's kind of interesting. Bring mine offering. The word bring there is yabal, which means to bear or carry as in a royal possession. And uh, offering is a gift or tribute or present. So then there's, there's other verses like this. So, Okay. Jeremiah has this strange verse that I've used myself to rebuke all this or to re refute all this. And it shall come to pass that when ye have multiplied or increased in the land, in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. Okay, the ark of the covenant's over. Bad, it's over. Past, old, you know, it's over, right? We understand from the Ethiopians that the ark itself is deteriorating. It's carried inside a marble carrier of some kind in there. 
But the ark was wood covered with gold, and the, go the wood is deteriorating. So it's, it's very, very, uh, uh, it's deteriorating. So it's not the ark that's the issue. Uh, we tried to explain this to the Ethiopians. They were polite, but didn't buy it. But I'll come back to that. Um, the ark isn't the issue. What's on top of the ark? Mercy seat. And most of us haven't done our homework on the mercy seat. We tend to lump those together as one thing. No, they're always described separately in the Scripture. In fact, the Holy of Holies is defined as the location of the mercy seat. It's obviously the location of the ark because that's what the mercy seat sits on. But the mercy seat's the dominant thing here. I used to use this verse to Grant Jeffries and some others who were promoting the Ethiopian, versions of the Ethiopian story. I didn't read the next verse. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, and the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. And it goes on. Again and again and again, you start taking the throne that Christ is going to rule in Zion. It's a whole other story. What we suspect is that the mercy seat is destined to be the throne from which Christ rules. And what the Ethiopians are destined to present to Christ is the package, but the key part of it is the mercy seat, not the ark, the traditional Ark of the Covenant. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant because it was there to give the Lord a place to dwell in. And as Matthew 12, 6 says, greater than the temple, the one greater than the temple is here, Jesus Christ. Okay. But we find all kinds of references that he's going to sit on a throne. And you start collecting those throne references, and it gets very, very interesting. The throne of the Lord. See, the ark is no longer the focus of worship in Jerusalem. Indeed, it'll be replaced by the throne of the Lord as all nations shall be gathered to it. The ark and the mercy seat are always described separately in the Scripture. Yes, they're physically there, as we all know, but they're always described separately. Something kind of interesting. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do that blood, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and in front of it, and in front of it, the mercy seat. This verse speaks of the priest sprinkling the blood of the sanctified animal on the mercy seat in payment of the sins of the people. This was done once a year on the specific day after great ceremonial preparations known as Yom, Yom Kippur. Okay. Jesus Christ, known as the Lamb of God, the blood sacrificed for our sins. Of course, is what it all symbolizes. So the mercy seat is certainly suitable for his throne. Now, it's interesting. Why do they sprinkle the blood between the cherubim and in front of it. That's what the Leviticus 16, 15 says. Well, there's a strange clue in Isaiah, in Ezekiel 43, verse 6 and 7. Ezekiel says, I heard him speaking unto me out of the temple, and the man stood by me. This is in the millennial context, obviously. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile. Neither they nor the kings by their whoredom, by the carcasses of their kings in their high places. Why don't you notice this? The, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. The imagery that seems to be suggested here is when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, there's the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat with the two cherubim, 
He's sprinkling the blood between the cherubim and in front. The imagery that's suggested here is that God is sitting there. In fact, when the Shekinah was there, that would speak to Moses. They had a dialogue. The, the, that it's as if God is sitting there, and the reason he's sprinkling the blood because of the soles. Sole, Ezekiel ties this to the soles of the feet. See, the other thing that no one's quite sure what the ark looked like. We know that they had these two cherubim on top, and most artists that render it render it quite fancifully, that they're up touching. It's our understanding that the two cherubim, their wings are touching, but they're bowed down and they're touching low so as to make a seat. And there are such uh, uh, relics in early Egypt of that kind of design, interestingly enough. In any case, uh, that's all is conjectural. This verse is a prophecy specific to the second coming of Christ known as the Messianic reign, the Ezekiel passage. We see in this verse that God speaks from the temple and from his throne and the place where he shall dwell in the midst of the children forever. Children of Israel forever. The place where he will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So that's the, mess that's the messianic picture. Okay, so we've got a perspective, a possibility. I don't want to oversell it here. But we might take an interesting look at Acts chapter 8. There's a very strange event that occurs in Acts chapter 8. Philip is in Samaria. There is a great revival going on. A lot of fruit being born here. And God takes Philip out of there and tells him to attach himself to this Ethiopian treasurer in Acts chapter 8. We'll pick it up about verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch or officer of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, if he's the treasurer of Ethiopia, what would that treasure include? Among other things, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, it would seem. So he had charge of all her treasure, and he had come, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. But he's on his way home confused. So he came to worship, but he's on his way home confused. He was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. And we know from the, what's coming here that he was reading from Isaiah 52 and 53, it turns out. In any case, he was reading from Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Which wasn't trivial, by the way, because it wasn't alone out in the desert, as you see in your Sunday school books. He had protection. He had, a, he had military support. But he somehow got access to this guy. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And the Ethiopian will say, How can I unless someone explains it to me? Well, let's stop for a minute and let's read what he was reading. We know he was reading from Isaiah 53, but I'm going to suggest to you or remind you that the chapter divisions are our divisions. We don't know exactly. We know it included Isaiah 53. Let's start a little earlier. Let's read starting at chapter 52 and a few verses. And imagine yourself being this Ethiopian official, this treasurer, this eunuch. Scripture said, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing. 
Go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. So he's a eunuch to keep himself clean. That was his commitment to his profession. But he, he bears what? The vessels of the Lord. That's an interesting phrase. For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. Your rearward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he is cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. So that's what he was reading, okay? Philip comes up. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture where he read was this, that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before a shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, in his judgment, he was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. That was quite an exit, wasn't it? Shazam, he's gone, huh? And he went on his way rejoicing. Let's stand back here a little bit. Here's a, here is a high official that's gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's now on his way home confused. He's reading scripture he doesn't understand. But the scripture says it's going to be explained to you. God sends Philip down there. Philip comes up and says, can you explain? Yeah, and Philip preaches him Christ. My personal suspicion is that he was sent 
He, that in Ethiopia they heard that the Messiah had come and he was dispatched to find out what's going on. He gets to Jerusalem to worship and discovers that this apparent Messiah has been killed. He's confused. He's on his way home, puzzled. God supernaturally, in effect, connects Philip there to reveal to him that's exactly what the prophet said, that the Messiah would be killed and he's coming again. He gets it. He gets baptized. And he goes back home rejoicing. What do you think he told Queen Candace? The scripture doesn't tell us. What do you think? Why was he visiting Jerusalem to worship? Why was he confused? I think because he went to find out the Messiah, the Messiah has been killed. After being saved, what did he report to Candace, the Queen of Ethiopia? Has the time come? I think he said, not yet. I suspect that he was sent there to check out, is it time to deliver, if Messiah has come, it's time for them to deliver their gift to the Messiah ruling on Zion. He gets there, the Messiah's not ruling, he's killed. He's really confused. Was he a false Messiah? What's going on? On his way home, he discovers that's exactly what was supposed to happen. The Messiah was to be executed. And, and, and that's all through the scripture. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, 20, uh, 26, and so on. I think when he gets back and explains this to the queen, Yes, the Messiah has come, but it's not time. He's not ruling at Zion yet. It's not yet. He's going to return to do that. So they're continuing to guard it. Now, Bob and I had the opportunity to meet with the, 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 the administrator. That's the person to whom the guardian reports. We were invited into his home. We spent some hours there with a young man that's his protege that will take his place when he dies. And a bright young guy, good friend. And... Uh, Bob and I, the four of us there, and we would take our English Bible, show this young kid, he would put it in the Ethiopian and show the old man, and we had that kind of a Bible study going on for some hours. And uh, they cling, of course, to the traditions they've been taught, that men like the first and all of that, and, and uh, we didn't get into that particularly. But our main point to him, see, they have no eschatology. They have no idea what happens when they give them, all they know is the Messiah comes, they give them, and that's it. I mean, they have no eschatological development there at all. And um, we tried to suggest to him that the Ark of the Covenant isn't the issue because it's not going to be relevant in that day. The issue is the mercy seat. that will be the throne from which Christ rules. Well, there, the old man was very polite. He didn't buy what we were saying, but he was very courteous. The young man that's going to take his place was taking detailed notes. He was intrigued. And later on, when Bob and I were debriefing this thing, we got to thinking, you know, that meeting may turn out to be very, very important. We received it at the home and along with his transfer replacement, reviewed the eschatological passages for several hours, and uh, their commitment is still to the Solomonic legends that they've been taught, but there's a keen interest in the possibility that it's the mercy seat and its role that's the key to it. Now, we've, I, I found something in the news, some, uh, I found something in the news some years ago now, and it's disappeared from visibility. But there was an article in the Ethiopian paper that Prime Minister Zanawi Melez and his security chief, Getachu Asafa, apparently, according to this article, have secretly struck a deal with the Israeli government to find a way of moving the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. Their deal, reportedly struck during a recent three-day visit of the Israeli Foreign Minister uh, Sylvain Shalom to Ethiopia, provides that the, the, the Israeli government free access to investigate the presence of the Ark in Axum, 
and then find a means of taking it out of Ethiopia without raising suspicion by the church community or the Ethiopian people. And uh, in exchange, the Israeli government will return, in return grant a permanent friendship between Melos and Israel. They're trying to find themselves a way to get protection should there be a regime change. Well, obviously, this hit the press. It's disappeared from visibility. I presume that this didn't sit very well with the church in Ethiopia. <laughs> And I assume that these guys are in deep uh, uh, yogurt here. So, um, but this uh, the idea of permanent friendship was to rescue Melis from any danger and providing him protection, and a place to live in Israel in case of regime change. This was back in 2000, January of 2004. So this is back a few years. I haven't seen any echo of it since. And so I mentioned only in passing. I think it's kind of interesting. It even had pictures of him at the time. So what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, we often go in January to Timcat. Ethiopia, and uh, each time we do, it's a delightful experience. The Ethiopian people are wonderful. Um, uh, we could not find anyone in our, uh, that we could run into that had the slightest doubt that they have the, the ark, and that's their mission, is to protect it. And uh, they regard it as a sacred trust. And uh, it's not in their interest to get people to believe them. They don't. That just complicates the security problems. But they... Uh, they uh, believe it, and they're faithfully following through, and they look for a day when Christ is ruling on Zion, and they're going to take whatever they got and present it to him. And uh, someone did some calculation. There's a mysterious 75-day period in Daniel chapter 12 that people aren't sure what it's for. Well, someone's pointed out that if you're carrying the ark on your shoulders from Exum to Jerusalem, it'll take you about 45 days, or 75 days, whatever. Anyway, um, those are all speculations. Thought you'd be interested in that. Uh, what fascinates me is that th there seems to be a path uh, in the Scripture that conforms to archaeological evidence that they have some kind of special relic that they've been guarding, and it's very possible. Who knows? But it's very possible they may really have the ark. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. We've had quite a tour, the book of Chronicles. We've dragged you through one king after the other, good guys, bad guys. It's interesting to realize that what made them good or bad on God's report card was did they follow his instructions? Many of them were very sincere in worshiping the wrong things. Sincerity ain't the issue. The issue is God is very precise and has specified how he is to be worshiped. And it's incumbent upon us to understand that and understand what his requirements are. And I'm not saying that we should be under the law, Leviticus law. We're not, we're, we're, we're not under the law. But we are called to a, a walk of obedience. And I think we need to recognize that God rewards the obedient. And uh, we are under the law of Christ, not the law of Moses indeed. But we should be obedient to his commands too, which are much simpler, much more penetrating. And uh, he also has the enabling to fit his laws. We're without excuse because the Holy Spirit's there to help us. But it's a very, very interesting uh, summary of the history of Israel. And if you want to find out what, what time it is on God's clock, you need to go just see what's going on in Israel. And what an exciting time to be alive, because God's hand is moving so visibly, so visibly. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, how precious it is. We do pray, Father, that you would reignite in each of us a new appetite, a new hunger for your word, that we might grow 
in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we might more fully apprehend what it is you would have of each of us in the days that remain. Oh, Father, that we might be like Hezekiah and the others that had a good report. Oh, Father, we pray that we too will never fail to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Oh, Father, and that we might turn from our wicked ways. We ask that, Father, that we might indeed have our prayers heard, have our sins forgiven, and have ourselves cleansed. Father, we pray for a revival in this country. We know that a revival always starts by embracing your word. We do pray, Father, that your word would go forth and that it might be cleansing all of us. We pray for revival, Father, and we pray that that revival would begin with each of us ourselves. We acknowledge that that principle you announced to Solomon was to your people. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Father, we, we realize that it's our sins within the body that are standing in the way of what you'd prefer to do. So we do ask, Father, that you would just draw us ever closer to you Help us to renew ourselves. Help us to renew ourselves through your Holy Spirit and through your word. That we indeed might be more responsive to your will. That we might be more effective stewards of the opportunities you place before each of us. As we commit ourselves into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, our King. In whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.